there's something good and American when any American says the Pledge of Allegiance. It's, it's important, right? If, if any American at all says the Pledge of Allegiance, it has significance to them, you know? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and, and so on and so, so forth. And so even just regular citizens, there is significance to us when we say the Pledge of Allegiance. But I think about some of my friends that served in the military. And I think about just how much more it means to them when they pledge allegiance to the flag. Knowing that at any moment while they were in active duty, they would have had to have given their lives for the freedom of our country. And so I think about how much that had to have meant and the significance of that when a soldier who enlists in the military says, I pledge allegiance. And in doing so, when that soldier pledges allegiance to the United States of America, he is consequently saying that his allegiance is to no other country except ours. And so there is a truth that by saying yes to one thing, you're simultaneously saying no to another. In the passage that we're going to look at today, operates on that same truth. And the truth that we find in the passage of Scripture today is that by pledging allegiance to loving God, it requires that you reject allegiance to loving worldly possessions. And so turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Give me one second. To Matthew chapter 6, verses... 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Now, the scriptures are going to be on the screen so that you can follow along. However, it is one of our strongest convictions. As you look over here, the second one down, Bible fluency. We want us to, to know the Bible well and to be able to understand it, be able to speak it. Um, we want you to know that everything that I say is coming out of God's Word. And if it doesn't, then it's wrong. Ignore it. If God does not back it up in the Bible, then you don't need to listen to me. And, and, and we, we believe that so strongly that if you're here tonight and you don't have a Bible, or you forgot yours or whatever, there are Bibles on the inside of every row. And if you need a Bible or you want one, that is our gift to you because we want you to follow along in God's Word with us, and we want you to verify that everything you're hearing is true. And so again, if you need a Bible, take that Bible home with you as our gift to you. We want you to be able to encounter God through His Word. And so let's read together Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Oh, if you are using one of the Bibles that is on the row, one of our Bibles, now yours, it's on page 860, page 860. Verse 19 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth 
nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The overarching message of this passage is very clear. Pledging allegiance to loving God requires that you reject allegiance to loving worldly possessions. Right? That's the umbrella that we're going to be underneath tonight. And the first point that we saw in this passage is that because your heart follows your possessions, you must take, you must make eternal investments over temporary ones. When Jesus says, don't store up for yourself, store up for yourselves treasures on earth, what he's saying is that because your heart follows those possessions, you need to make eternal investments, not temporary ones. Say, wow, pastor, take it easy. This is your second sermon in bar none and you're already talking about money. Right, okay, calm down, okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to get your money here. The, the issue that we come into is that Jesus taught on money more than he taught on heaven. Why? Because what we believe about money really impacts what we believe about God. And so we're going to work through this passage together, okay? We're going to process through it, and we're going to check our hearts and see how we're doing with our possessions. All right? And one of the things that's really helpful in trying to figure out what this passage is saying is knowing what it's not saying. Now, hear me. This passage is not saying that you can be— or this passage is not saying that it's a sin to be rich. It is not a sin. It's not a violation of God's perfect standard to have wealth. In the Old Testament, over and over, there are some key players in the Old Testament that had massive amounts of wealth. I'm talking Wyoming-type wealth, okay? They had ranches, they had land, they had cattle, right? Um, if it wasn't so—or anyways, you get the point. They had a lot of land. They had a lot of wealth. And never—there's there's so many encounters in the Scripture where God doesn't condemn them for that. And in so many ways, they use that for good. One of them, I'm even thinking of, builds a temple so that the Jewish people can worship God. He did that because he had the ability to build it. So in the Old Testament, which is everything before Jesus, we don't see it as a sin. And then in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul. He's known as the Apostle Paul, and God used him to write 13 books in the Bible. This apostle trained up a young man named Timothy. And in one of his letters, 1 Timothy, 1st and 2nd, he writes to this young pastor protege, and he says, here's what the rich Christians in your church should live like. And what he does there is he makes an assumption that there's going to be rich Christians in Timothy's church. And his answer is not that they give it all away. 
Of course, there are times when Jesus encounters someone and, and they love their riches, they love their possessions. And Jesus says, give it all away and follow me because he knows they're not willing to give up their God for him. And so there are times when some people have to give it all up, but, but it is not a sin to be wealthy. It is not a sin to have money, make money, and enjoy having it. And so now that we know what this passage is not saying, let's take a look at what it is saying. And what it is saying is that money can really quickly become your God. Worldly possessions, stuff. Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to have it. Jesus is saying that when you have it and when you want it and when you're pursuing after it, if, you, if it begins to dictate your life, if it begins to dictate your decisions, if it becomes uh, something that changes your attitude in a snap and, and really quickly, when you begin being controlled by your possessions, that is when the problem comes. Jesus is emphasizing here that pursuing wealth and stuff in this life is a useless venture because everything in this world dies. Everything in this world wears out. And, and Jesus is saying, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves can't break in and steal. We need to make eternal investments over temporary ones. We don't need to put all of our eggs in this temporary basket. Jesus loves you enough to tell you that if you put too much emphasis and too much value on worldly possessions, you will time after time after time come up empty, broken, and in despair. This is a fact from the lips of Jesus that everything in this life will wear out and will break or will be stolen. Jesus directs our attention from the temporary to the eternal. He says, don't do this. Instead, do this. What does it look like to store up treasure in heaven? Right? I, I don't know if there's little storehouses that have my name on it and your name on it. And every time we do something good, cha-ching. Right? I, I don't think that's really what it's getting at. I think Jesus is wanting us to really focus on our values here. And so how, how do we store up treasure in heaven? Well, first, I want to make a bold statement and say that unless you are a Christian, you cannot store up treasure in heaven. Two reasons. If you're not a Christian, well, let's define what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who believes in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And when they believe that, they turn and put their faith in that. In Jesus, they begin following his teachings, and they allow Jesus to be the Lord and the ruler and the boss of their life. That's a Christian. Someone whose life is markedly different than it used to be because of their belief in Jesus' death on the cross for their sins. So unless you're a Christian, you can't store up 
treasures in heaven. You can't have uh, eternal investments because if you're not a Christian, then you're not doing it to please God. You're doing it for some other reason that as noble as it may look on paper, it's self-motivated. God created you, God created me to serve Him and to bring Him glory and to change people's lives for good. And if we're serving God, then that brings God glory and we store up treasure for ourselves in heaven. But if we don't follow God, then we're doing it for some other reason that is outside of God's plans and purpose for your life and therefore we would call that sin. And so you can't sinfully store up treasures in heaven. So if you're not a Christian, you can't store up treasures in heaven. Not only because you're not serving God, but you won't spend eternity in heaven anyways. So even if you could store up treasure, you won't go to the correct destination to enjoy it. And so as Jesus gives us a very strong word of don't store up treasures here, store them in heaven, you have to ask yourself, am I even pursuing God? Am I even going to go to heaven? Do I believe that Jesus died for my sins and, and have I repented of my sins and put my faith in Jesus and decided that you're right, Jesus, everything in this life's gonna die and I want my life to count. I want my life to mean something and I want to use it for what you gave it to me for. So you have to ask yourself, are you even a Christian? And then second, if you are a Christian, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, it's not on the screens, I'll read it. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Therefore, if you're a Christian, so point one, if you want to store up treasure in heaven, you've got to be a Christian. And then if you're a Christian, I can't tell you how much this means. It doesn't matter if you get two blown out tires on your way to go elk hunt. It doesn't matter if something breaks last minute. It doesn't matter whether good or bad. Everything you do in life as a Christian matters. All of your pain, it has a purpose. All of your joy, it has a purpose. Jesus says, or, or, or the Bible says that Everything you do trying to serve the Lord, if you're a Christian, is not in vain. And so the first thing, if we want to store eternal treasures, we have to know Christ. We have to trust that everything we do in trying to be faithful to Him is not in vain. It has a purpose. And then the last thing I really want to encourage you is you need to invest in people. People are eternal beings. Whether they die and go to hell or whether they die and go to heaven, afterlife is an eternity. And so investing in the lives of people is a great investment because it changes their life now. And if you share the gospel with them and if they come to Christ, then you change their life for an eternity. And so Christians at Outfitter Church, I'm speaking explicitly to you. We cannot make any better eternal investment than to tell people about Jesus. And it's easy for me to do it up here. Why? Because typically you guys don't speak back to me right now. So I can say what I need to say and then move on. 
All right, we'll get some coffee afterwards. It's tougher for me to say it whenever I'm in the truck with a friend or when I'm out in the duck hunting blind. It's much more difficult for me to say at Sportsman's Warehouse or at the gas station than it is for me to stand up here. But there's no better investment than telling someone, hey, you're on a road to destruction and there is a road to glory and there is a road to a Savior that loves you and will spend life with you and will equip you and give you a purpose. That's the best investment you can make. But you want to spend time with people, mentoring a younger person, helping train someone at your job that helps them provide for their family, and it's so on and so on and so on. Now, for example, I went duck hunting last weekend. We shot a three-man limit. Boom! It was awesome. Never done that in my life. Those ducks are going to get eaten. My gun is going to rust. My waders are going to spring a leak, and I'm going to have to throw them away. But the time that I spent with those people, that's what it's all about. And so as we we think about what Jesus has to say, we don't need to store up treasures and stuff with possessions and money that all of it's going to die and fade away anyways. But we need to know the God that created us for this life and for eternity. And we need to invest in people who are eternal beings and who matter. Jesus is saying that if we're always storing up more stuff, we're making a terrible investment because those things will fade and will ruin. Ultimately, this is a matter of your heart. If you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in your heart, you will continually be coming up empty. And so Jesus is saying, you've got to find eternal treasure. And he is the only treasure that never dies, that lives forever. Amen. And so we see that because your heart follows your possessions, you need to make eternal investments over temporary ones. That's what we saw first. And look down in verse 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be healthy. Or will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? I remember um, on August, or in August of 2015, I went to a barbecue in Texas that changed my life. Let me tell you about it. So I'm in seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. We're fixing to start my freshman year of seminary, and and there's this huge cookout, right? And I'm not partial to Texas. Wyoming's my home. I I moved here, right? I I love this place more than I love Texas, but I will say that Texans do know how to throw down on the barbecue, okay? Um, And so I'm at this barbecue, and, and for some reason, Ashley couldn't come. I don't remember why, but she wasn't there. So I go there with the guy from work, and and we get there, and we sit down, and, and I'm, I just recognize I'm having so much fun. I'm having a great time. So I sit down, and I talk to my buddy, and I'm like, Nick, he, he's just telling me his life story. And I'm like, this guy's freaking cool. I like Nick. Oh my goodness, this is, a, and I tell him, like, this is a great time. Aren't you having a great time? He's like, yeah. I, and he's newly married, and I'm newly married. And I said, dude, I think I figured out why I'm having such a good time. And he's like, Why? And I said, because I'm not looking for a wife. The pressure is off. I've made it. It's like, Mama, I'm coming home. 
Because up until that point, now, now, I dated and was engaged to Ashley for a year and a half, so not that time, okay? But up until that point, every friend's house that you go to, every barbecue you go to, every event that your school or your work or whatever puts on, you're sitting there just coming through like, mm, I wonder if my wife is here. And you're looking, and you're like, okay, there's like this huge gaping hole in the goals of my life. I want to be married, and she's got to be here. And if she's here, what do I got to do to sweep her off her feet? And so you're, everything that you do, everywhere you go, because you're not married yet, you're just thinking, all right, where's my wife? What's she doing? What do I got to do? How, how am I going to make her like me? What, what kind of jokes am I going to tell? And so you're interpreting everything that happens in life through the lens of where is my wife? And I recognize that that is exactly what this passage is getting at. He's saying, if your eye is healthy, everything's good. If your eye is bad, as the lamp of your body, everything will be dark. And just like it was that I was finally married. So I went to that event and I looked for the best plate of barbecue. And I sat by a friend of mine and I talked to him because I wanted to actually get to know him. I actually attended the event for its purpose. Rather than like trying to twist everything into where's future Mrs. Martin? Isn't that so true with our lives? That, that we, we look at life and, and if we're not satisfied, there's this gaping hole. And so everything that we do in life, our eyes are interpreting it through, is this going to satisfy me? Right? I'm, I'm going to try and join this church. Right? Is, is that going to complete me? Right? Or, or, or you know what? I, I'm going to... I'm going to start tithing, right? Is that going to complete me? Or, or maybe you think, okay, if I just put a little bit more money in the, in the retirement, uh, that, that number will be enough for, so that I can be comfortable in life. Or, or you say, you know what, man, if I just get this beautiful spouse, I wonder if that will complete me. And then you have these gorgeous kids and you're like, will this complete me? And, and, and everything you do, every place you go, every job you get, every move, everything you're interpreting through, is this going to be enough? Is this going to satisfy me? And the answer is no. If your heart is unfulfilled, and what I mean by that is if you do not have Jesus as your Lord, then every single day you're going to be looking for something to complete you and you will come up empty. This isn't just a message for people who don't have Jesus. Outfitter Church, I'm talking to you. Christians, I'm talking to you. Some of us need some LASIK eye surgery. Some of us need to get our eyes back in check. And, and, and this is a great time for this sermon. I trust me, I preached this to myself all week long, okay? It's been kicking my butt because every duck hunting season, I start to lose sight of what matters in life. I'm just constantly planning my next hunt and buying the next decoys and, and doing all these things. And, and I have to remind, every year I come out of duck season like a buck coming out of the rut, just worn out and ragged, right? And, and, and I'm exhausted because I lost sight of what matters. Again, it's not about the decoys. It's not about the stuff. It's about the memories. It's about the people. It's about knowing that nothing in this life, even as a Christian, can satisfy you unless you're first satisfied in Christ. 
What a word to us. Some of us need to get the cataracts and the cloudiness out of our eyes because even as a Christian, we have forgotten that the only contentment in life comes through knowing Jesus. We need to remind ourselves to set our eyes on things that last, on the eternal, and remind ourselves that with Christ in our lives, we have all that we need. So not only do our hearts follow our possessions and therefore we need to make eternal investments over temporary ones, but also that because the eyes, because your eyes are the lamp of the body, you need to set your eyes on the right things. And lastly, we come into verse 24, where it says, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This passage makes it so clear that because you can only choose one master, you must choose wisely. Because you can only choose one master in this life, you must choose your master wisely. You know, I, I love the clarity that Jesus gives us in this passage. No one can serve two masters, dot, dot, dot. You cannot serve both God and money. Sometimes in this life, in 2019, it's hard to get a straight answer, right? Have you ever, you ever encountered that sometimes it's hard for someone to really tell you how they feel about you? And then other times you just don't know if you're allowed to talk about a certain topic. And so there's this, there's this gray area of like, I don't know if I should mention this. I'm just going to stay quiet and put my hands in my pocket, right? But, but Jesus he lets us breathe right here because he sets it straight. There's, there's no way he can get more clear. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. Again, it doesn't mean that you can't have money, make money, or enjoy having money. The key word here is serve. And the word serve in its original language was a slave. Now, it's a much different connotation than the last several hundred years here in America. It was a different connotation, not a lot less negative. But what it meant was that you pledged your total allegiance to someone or something to serve them. Jesus is saying that where your values are, there's your heart. And if your heart and your values aren't aligned with God, then you will not be faithful to God. If God is the one, if, if knowing God, loving God is, is the thing that's driving you, great. But if there's some other external influence that, that's if there's some other external influence that's causing you to change the way you live, that thing is your God. Well, how, how can I say that? I can say that because whatever it is that you're constantly doing, that's what you're being faithful to. 
whether you want to admit it or not, what you do and what you serve is your God. And so there's some great diagnostic questions is, what wakes me up in the morning? What keeps me uh, strong so that I can go to work day in and day out? You ask yourself, um, what keeps me wanting to live? And if, if your ultimate answer to that question is, and I'm not trying to be too spiritual, don't think that you have to be perfect in what I'm fixing to say, but there, there, this is the truth. If your answer to that question is, what, why do I live? Why am I here? And what gets me up in the mornings? If it's not to love God, bring God glory, and to tell others about God, then my brother, my sister, Jesus is not your God. You can't have a God that you don't follow. And as long as the answer to that question is something or someone other than God, you will find those paths unsatisfying. This whole passage, this whole teaching that Jesus gives is trying to protect us from a wasted life. You may think this is a harsh message. I'd like to give you the perspective that it's a loving one. That there is a God that loves you enough to tell you you're wrong. And that that's not going to work. I want you to uh, go back to, in your mind to that soldier that I told you about at the beginning of our sermon. When he pledges allegiance to the United States of America, he is rejecting any allegiance to any country that could ever at any time be against America. And so my question to you, is Jesus worthy of your allegiance? Is Jesus worthy to be your God. I remind you that it is Jesus that brings meaning to your life, for he created it. It is Jesus who fills the gap in your life because he's the only eternal thing that can satisfy. Not only in this life, but for eternity to come. So today I ask you, would you pledge your allegiance to Jesus? to follow him, for him to be your God, rather than money or possessions and stuff. If you're ready to, to turn away from empty and useless pursuits and follow the God who never fails, never tires, never lets you down, I want you tonight to call out to him and say so. And Christian, maybe you're sitting in here and you're thinking, well, I don't need to be saved. Well, my encouragement to you is check your eyes. Have you lost vision? Maybe we need some corrective lenses called God's grace to forgive us for when we got distracted. And we need to get back on the path of knowing that nothing satisfies except Jesus. So Christian, if that's you tonight, I encourage you. But if you're not yet a Christian, not yet someone who believes 
in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You've not allowed him to save you from this empty life and give you purpose. That's who I'm talking to now. I want you to call out to God and ask him to save you. The Bible calls this process of calling out prayer. And so I'm, I'm going to pray some truth. I'm going to pray just some truth statements. And if you're wanting to turn away from this empty pursuit and find the only thing that will never let you down, which is Jesus, then I want you to pray after me. You can pray in your own heart, or you can even pray it out loud if you want to. And then there's no secrets here. There's no underhanded moves. I'm going to ask you, if you want to come to Christ, if you want to find eternal treasure, if you want to find satisfaction in this life, I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to pray that after me. But I also want you to check the box. You were given a card on your way in that says connect card. And I want you, if you're going to give your life to Christ now, I want you to fill out that card, and I want you to check that top box. Why? Because there's nothing that the enemy, Satan, would rather do than to take you out before you ever get started. And so if you check that, I'm going to give you a call next week, or someone in our church is going to give you a call, and we're going to sit down with you, and we're going to give you a Bible, and we're going to tell you what it means to follow Jesus, and, and how we can be a good brother and sister in Christ to you in this time. I, before we pray, I want to say, just remember, you can't clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. A soldier is not a soldier until he enlists. And he has to enlist as a civilian. You can't clean yourself up before you come to God. You come to him as a dirty, broken, wretched sinner. I did, and you can too. And he takes you in because he loves you, and he adopts you and brings you into the family of God, and he gives you a purpose, and he gives you the ability to change and to find freedom and to find hope. And so I'm going to ask our band to come up here and, and to begin to play. And the message is clear today. That pledging allegiance to loving God requires that you reject allegiance to anything else. And so I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, you've heard about Jesus today. It's no accident that you're here. Is Jesus worthy for you to follow him? If you want to follow Jesus and find satisfaction, I'm going to say this prayer, so I'm going to ask if you guys would that just close your eyes and uh, so there's some, some time for people to make personal decisions. Just close your eyes and bow with me in prayer. And again, if you want to come to Christ, repeat this prayer after me. God, I realize now that I need you. I've traveled down lots of empty roads. I've tried to find treasure in many things. Yet tonight, I realize only you will satisfy. I ask you to forgive me 
of the wrong choices I've made as I've tried to find meaning. I ask that you forgive my sins. I ask you to satisfy me. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again from the grave. I want to follow you. I want my treasure to be in heaven. Save my life, God. Give me your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk after you faithfully. I give you my life, Lord. It's no longer my own. Do with me whatever you please. Now as we continue in prayer, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to check that top box that says, I decided to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm interested, Tyler, but I'm not ready to pull the trigger yet. Great. (laughs) I want you to mark that down. We want to meet with you, want to talk with you, want to read scripture with you. We want to be good neighbors to you. There's nothing more important in this life than what you believe about God. So don't leave unanswered questions. And now church, Christians, I want to say a word to you. There's no better investment we can make than to tell other people about the Lord. So I encourage you, don't lose sight. Jesus has changed your life. Jesus has changed my life. Not so that we can just get more stuff. But so that we can invest in the people that he's put in our lives. So we can live life to the full. I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to worship God through singing. And then we'll have some announcements and close. But Jesus, I just want to thank you for tonight. God, I want to thank you for the people who are here. And if God, if there's anyone here that that doesn't know you yet, God, I just thank you for bringing them here. I thank you, God, for helping them feel comfortable enough to come in to meet with our church and to hear about you. God, I pray that you would help them to answer the, the, uh, the questions that they have about you, about life, about death, about heaven, about hell, and about eternity. And God, I pray for Outfitter Church that we would be a people that doesn't ever get distracted by the stuff. This life is so short and there's so many people that need help and they need love, they need grace, they need forgiveness. God, help us to know that you're our ultimate treasure and help us to love others and to serve them rather than storing up stuff. Jesus, as we 
now move to sing praise to you. I pray that we would be a blessing to you. Thank you for allowing us to gather. Thank you for a safe night. And thank you for all these people that are here. And I pray, God, that you would bless each and every one of them in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.